0: Hello Makers and Mystics, I'm your host, Stephen Roach, and this is Season 10, Episode 1. I'm thrilled to get started on this new season of interviews, artist profiles, and roundtable discussions. We have an incredible roster of guests and topics we're going to cover over the next few months, all centered around restoring the heart of the artist. In Season 9, we took a deep dive into mental, emotional, and spiritual health for the artist, and now we want to take these conversations a step further, looking at what it means to rebuild, repair, and restore the heart of the artist. My guest today is author and co-founder of the Allender Center at Seattle School of Theology and Psychology, Kathy Lorzell. Kathy Lorzell is the co-author of Redeeming Heartache, How Past Suffering Reveals Your True Calling with Dan Allender. She has spent the last 15 years developing a popular new coaching and therapeutic approach called story work that moves people through their past stories of heartache to heal and discover healthier ways of being in the world. In today's episode, I talk with Kathy about what it means to listen to your story and how we as artists and creatives can move toward a much healthier mode of living and creating in the world. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview segment with Kathy on Restoring Shalom at patreon.com slash makers and mystics. Thank you for listening. This is What's Your Story with Kathy Lorzel. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me today on the Makers and Mystics podcast. It's an honor to have you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, it's a pleasure.
0: Well, in a fun bit of synchronicity, we opened up season nine of the Makers and Mystics podcast with an interview featuring Mr. Dan Allender himself, who co-authored with you the book, Redeeming Heartache. And so now here we are, the opening episode of season 10 of the show. We get to set the record straight, add your perspective to the conversation, and maybe weed out any heresy that Dan and I let slip through the cracks. What do you think?
1: (laughs) It sounds like a great way to start your season.
0: So as you know, on this season of the podcast, we're spending some time talking about restoring the heart of the artist. Mm -hmm. And I think your book, Redeeming Heartache, fits perfectly into this theme. So... Tell us in your own words what Redeeming Heartache is about.
1: Sure. You know, the premise of Redeeming Heartache is really the idea that you cannot really understand your current way of being in the world, either how you bring life and goodness to the world or how you suffer or bring pain or have suffered if you don't understand your origin story. And and so we really go back to an idea that... You have to know your story Mm -hmm. in order to be able to create, to live fully, to love fully, um, but also then to be able to understand how to actually shift who you are in your day-to-day world to be a more healing and healed presence in the world. We're not talking about, you know, getting fully healed. We don't think that's possible on this side of (laughs) Eden, but I do think there's so much where we're flying blind and then feeling so desperate and so despairing because we're in a lot of pain and we're living in a very fragmented, shattered world and our families are in difficult places for a lot of us. Our, our country is in a difficult space, but the, the way that we handle that isn't by hoping that all goes away. It's be- becoming the people who are able to um, to bear the reality of the world without losing hope and losing faith and without being able to love.
0: So what does it mean to understand our origin stories? How do we begin that work?
1: Yeah. So we know now, this is really the renaissance of neuroscience. I'm sure that you've talked a lot about that last year. And it's been a a real treat at the Eleanor Center. We've been doing what we call story work uh, for a long time now. I've been doing it for 18 years. But what we have come to understand is that as children... We know the real story of what's going on around us. We accurately see um, heartache and harm and um, uh, ill intentions, places where our families are failing us or um, not able to love us in the way that they were meant to. Um, we accurately see that in our, and know that in our bodies, but we have to unsee it in order to survive. Mm-hmm. In order, And we always rewrite the story putting our parents in a better light and putting a lot of the blame on ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's the way that children orient themselves to the world because they need to keep their caregivers good in order to have some semblance of safe. And we're not saying that all caregivers are bad. What what we're saying is that there are stories that are lodged in our bodies that our bodies know the truth, but we have to actually start to re-understand those stories in a more truthful way in order for that trauma, that harm to be dislodged from our bodies and for that not to impact so acutely our way of relating in our current world. And so what happens is when we rewrite those stories from childhood, we then create patterns now like workarounds where, you know, it's like, you know, this one highway is really dangerous. And so you've created lots of other side roads. Well, you have to go over mountains. You have to go over streams. It's not as easy as the highway, but as children, it's easier to stay off the highway now that we understand it's dangerous. And so as adults, we're doing a lot of work to try to, to continue to, to maneuver through these workarounds instead of actually reengaging the highway, the, the part of our story that can get us clarity and get us healing. Um, and so that's, that's what, that's what we, we explain as kind of our origin story or, or the way that we have become blind on purpose and because of strategy and adaptive behaviors to a lot of the stories that um, need need some work and need some healing.
0: One thing I've heard you say is that it's important for us to listen well to our stories. Mm-hmm. How do we do that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll put it in context of myself. I've been writing a memoir on my early years and on my childhood mm-hmm. for the past seven years now, I think, and I keep revisiting this story. And so it's very fascinating to me. I wanna I wanna know how to listen well to my own story. And then for those listeners, how do we begin to listen well to our stories?
1: Yeah, so so when you go into those stories and when you're writing, I would be really curious what you feel in your body. Do you feel a sense of dread, a sense of anxiety, a sense of ominousness where you're afraid that something's gonna happen? Cause a lot of times when we go back to these stories, we're feeling something that isn't, doesn't necessarily match what we have believed to be true in the way that we've written that story. Mm-hmm. And it's often in where those things are dissonant, that cognitive dissonance, that you actually find the core of something that your body knew, but your mind rewrote in order to mm-hmm. keep you safe. So like a lot of times when you're working with those stories especially like in a house, right? You'll you'll go into a room and you'll think, "Well, that was my safe place." But when you go back in there as an adult, you have this this feeling in your gut if you can really like slow down and listen to it that says, "I was escaping something scary." I was escaping something that was very difficult and you don't quite know why because in your mind you've rewritten your family you know, as a kid, you're like, "Well, my parents are great. I was loved. I was cared for. Um, I don't know. I don't understand why I would have this ominous feeling." Well, those are always clues that there's something underneath. Like, you know, it's the groundwater mm-hmm. that you're trying to tap into that's still there. It's just that you've had to rewrite it, but now you can do that as an adult. Mm-hmm. So to listen to to your body when when I when you say listen to your story, in some ways, it's listening to Where are there gaps? Where is what you're feeling different than how you're telling it, how you're narrating your story? There's, um, I think this is from Dan Siegel, who's a neuroscientist, or maybe it was David Schnarch, said the way that you find healing is by um, creating an accurate narrative of your origin story of your life.
0: Oh, that's good.
1: Right? And so what you're doing by going back and listening to these stories is that they actually have something to tell you that is that's is lodged in your body, but you have to slow down and believe your body and believe your kind of subconscious memories enough to be able to say, maybe there's something more to this that I just wasn't ready for then, but I actually am ready for now.
0: You made me think that even the process of writing begins with listening. Yes. And as we talk about, Going into the creative space, something that a phrase I've been using lately is Do our stories heal into art? Mm-hmm. Or how can we heal our stories into art? And, um, you know, I know that even some art therapy helps us utilize the creative to mm-hmm. work through some of these stories and work through some of these experiences. But I'm really interested in the idea of healing our stories into art. I wonder if if you could speak a bit into the process of once we begin listening to our stories, how can we move forward so we just don't stay back there, mm-hmm. but we do bring that sense of cohesion to our adult life.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I I think art is is the way that the subconscious and those parts of our stories that don't have language end up getting expressed. So, you know, when you're watching a movie or you're looking at a painting or you're listening to music, you're actually, you know, we know this, you're connecting to your right brain. And so when we talk about our stories, oftentimes what happens as kids is that when you experience trauma or heartache or things you don't understand, your left brain which is the part this is you know basic not there's it's much more compl- complex than this is but this is you know your cereal box version of of neuroscience <laughs> your left brain is the one that's in charge of language in charge of, of understanding meaning all that all that stuff and then your right brain is the one that's sensation and body memory and impression right and when you experience something that's too much for your little body and brain to understand those things split in order to keep you safe and when that splits, again, that is adaptive behavior that like, thank God that that happens or else we would all end up insane. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's called fragmentation. That's what happens to our, our brain when we experience something that overrides our capacity to understand it. And as children, you have a less developed brain that can help bring those the left and the right brain back together. Where you connect language and meaning to sensation and like the 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 essence of what happened, right? Or the feelings of what happened. And so I think art is a way that we can actually reintegrate the left and the right brain um, without uh, demanding language.
0: Uh
1: And I think there's something so healing to that. I mean, some people do art by writing or poetry, but but you know, when you're sitting and watching a movie there's something that's coming across to you limbically in your right brain that you're able to understand like through your connectivity and through your life experience that you don't necessarily always have language for, right? Mm -hmm. And that changes our bodies. That changes and reintegrates these stories in us and dislodges some of the trauma that's been left over from our childhood. And so when I look at the journey of the artist, I think they have such a unique role to play because so many of us, and, and, and really a lot of Christianity and religion, have um, landed in our left brain. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's theology, it's cognition, it's language. It's if you can speak it the, the, the best, then you win. Then you have an understanding of God, right? And that mm-hmm. is actually the exact opposite of what we know to be true. We know that the majority of the way that Jesus interacted in the Bible was through story. Mm-hmm. He never gave straight answers,
0: <laughs> yes, like
1: he, he just didn't, right? It was parable. And I think that is art. That's, yes. that's the artist's way. That's the way we, we speak in parables and riddles and stories that then bring us into this collective consciousness where we, we can all learn from each other without needing to, to um, really harm ourselves more by demanding there to be an articulation. Now, yes. articulating a story can be very healing as well. Um, I'm not saying that it's not both, but I think the artist has this capacity to bring that sort of restorative version that, that when so many of us are, are um, separated from our bodies, from our feelings, and we, we rely so heavily on our left brain to make sense of things, and we really leave this other part of us in the dust. And so I, my guess is that even after the last couple of years of the pandemic, a lot of the work that's going to be going on in therapy is going to be a lot more of body, of art, of ritual, of allowing us to rest without having to speak words or or turn our left side of our brain on in order to make sense of something that in some ways can't, you can't make sense of. It's too horrific.
0: Yes. And that's something that I'm hearing even in the community that I work with, with our artists and as I've talked with people just coming on the other side of the past two years and un- beginning to unpack what we've all in our own ways gone through. It really has been a collective trauma. Yeah. And I think within the arts and entertainment communities, the trauma of the past two years has been pretty intense. Yes. But my hope, and even with this focus on the season, is I am starting to see a little bit of light at the mm-hmm. end of the tunnel. and One of the topics we're gonna cover this season is wounded healers, this idea Mm -hmm. of wounded healers. Of course, Carl Jung was the first one that pointed that out, drawing from the Greek mythology of Chiron Mm -hmm. and the wounded healer there. And then of course, Henry Nouwen, making that more famous in theological circles and Christian circles. But I see that as an archetype for the artist in this season, in this day is that we can be the wounded healers as we do some of this restorative work that you're talking about, revisiting some of the trauma, some of the hard things we've gone through. Mm -hmm. And one thing I heard you say that really interested me to hear you speak on is you talked about learning to bless the heartache of the past Mm -hmm. and that we can discover healing uh, to go into a deeper call for our lives. Tell me how we as artists, as creatives, can bless the heartache of the past and begin to work through some of the things we've gone through over the past two years?
1: Yeah. So, I think the first thing that I would want to say is artists, I think, and creatives more than any other kind of section of people are the ones who feel the most. Mm-hmm. I think most people become or are drawn towards art or, you know, creativity or things like that because there's a sense that. The world is so deeply broken and so deeply beautiful. I can hardly handle it. Mm-hmm. I have to do something. Yes, I have to have some expression because, it, or else, it's going to overwhelm me, um, a- and it's going to overtake me. and And so, I think for an artist to one understands, like you are going to feel more acutely the beauty and the death. And so are how do you tend to your soul so that you can manage both So good. And and you can't do that if one you're not willing to grieve, if you're not willing to let your heart just ache. Like there and and there are so many opportunities for even those of us who aren't like I'm I'm curating more of my artist heart. That's a lot of kind of my repentance from my left brains way of being all these years. And I've had to spend a lot of time in my garden, tending to my vegetables and slowing my body down and cooking. And, and like uh, last year after the school shooting, I remember just being completely undone at the faces of the kids who died and the teachers and just the, the horror of all of it. And, and feeling like I could weep for days and and I remember having the sense that I don't I can't weep because I don't know when it's going to stop but having to actually slow my body down enough to say no I need to give myself over to this because it's the fear that if I give over to grief then somehow it will swallow me up that actually keeps me closer to the grief and not allowing it to move through my body and so an artist has to learn like how do you lament how do you let that move through your body and give yourself over to it in a way that actually allows it to move through your body so that there's there's creativity, there's something on the other side. But you can't skip over the gulf and the chasm of suffering in mm-hmm. order to kind of get to redemption. Yes. It's just, it's not how it works. And it's certainly not how it works for artists. Like They have to be able to, to feel everything that they're feeling because if, if, they, if they stuff that, that's when it, you go into depression and anxiety and, you know, the potential for suicide. Like there's so much, I mean, you see artists tortured, mm, but it's mm-hmm. not because they're just, you know, like emotional people that, you know, are just t- tortured souls. It's because they see life in technicolor, yes. both the good and the bad. And, and that can, that can destroy you if you don't tend to that well. So are you aware of what you're letting into your system? Social media, TV, like what, what, what sort of thing, news, what, what's your practice of how you're actually tending and protecting your mind and your body, because you are going to feel it more acutely, or you have to become numb to it and an addict and find some way to kind of dull the, the pain. So I think when I think about artists and, and the, the wounded healers of this world, we have to take so seriously tending to our own hearts, allowing ourselves to be slow, to be taken in by beauty, to be taken in by grief, and then always knowing that that has to stay in balance. So like if you're only taking in the grief, but then not finding that place that just takes your breath away in terms of beauty or being connected in relationships in a way that is going to bring soothing and comfort to your soul. um, Like you need to have both in order to be able to live this life and to create. And I really believe that our calling is to create beauty and goodness here in the land of the living,
0: all of us, I don't care who
1: you are. That is your call.
0: (laughs) Yes. Like
1: if you are a scientist or an accountant and you're, and you bring the most beautiful spreadsheet that is amazing and so sophisticated into this world, like I'm telling you, you are creating beauty and that is your calling. Mm-hmm. like if you're an artist that is going to do something incredible on a sidewalk you know at, to invite a whole community into grieving or into life like amen that is your calling like both are are creating beauty according to your own gifting and the way that you bring god into this world but again to do that you have to be close to the ground mm-hmm. and have practice of how are you going to handle your your tender feeling alive body
0: and heart. My mind is going in five different directions right now (laughs) because everything you've said is so incredible. But one thing that immediately comes to mind as you're talking about this is that especially for artists that are working inside of faith communities or in a context of faith, sometimes expressing the full spectrum of emotion is not always looked upon positively, Mm -hmm. there can be an expectation to have the answers or there can be an expectation to abide in a particular place. But what I hear you say and really validates the full spectrum of emotion and and gives us place to go through the process, not to hang out in in open wounds and pathologies and, and things of that nature that are unhealthy, but to walk through some of the harder things on our journey toward redemption?
1: hmm yeah. Oh, I felt that one in my body when you said that, um, that uh, the full range of, of emotion isn't often welcome.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this is why, so part of what we wrote about in Redeeming Heartache are um, the three core wounds, but then also how they become redeemed, right? And one of the core wounds that often happens for us is the wound of stranger. And the stranger is basically the one who is the truth teller, who is the one who sees the world in technicolor and has spoken that, assuming that people are going to like join them. Like maybe they're just not doing anything about it because they just don't know because they just don't see. And so I'll help them. Right. And you start to speak, you start to invite people to more, you start to expose what's wrong and you immediately are seen as dangerous Mm-hmm. And too much or overly dramatic, and the language to you back from your community is is really shut up,
0: mm.
1: be smaller, talk less, don't expose. We can't really do anything about it anyways. You're just causing trouble. Like become like the rest of us and just numb it out, and don't talk about it and play the game, right? And so, so I think I got, an artist has to understand you have a beautiful, rebellious heart that can be blessed. It can also cause a lot of trouble that you have to reckon with <laughs> and understand that there's a balance, right? Yes, yes. But you're a prophet, you're a prophet within your community but that also means that you can't just like lob rocks or or grenades in and blow everything up and expect people to like still be in relationship with you and change no you have to be in the midst but also knowing that you're exposing goodness and the potential of more life but that also is uncomfortable for people mm-hmm. so a lot of people have spent a lot of time trying to unsee or ignore what's wrong with the world because they feel hopeless or powerless to do anything about it. And so an artist, a prophet, you're coming in and you're kind of poking the bear <laughs> and saying, no, no, like wake up, you know, yeah, you're gonna roar and you're gonna be angry, but like we can handle that, but you need to be alive. Uh-huh. And and the artist has to understand like that's not an easy task, but it is a holy and honorable one. Uh-huh. that needs support and, and needs um, care and comfort. But knowing like you're not always going to be popular, but, but please, please, please keep going. Learn how to modulate it, how, how to speak in a way that brings love and connection and not just pointing a finger at everyone. Uh-huh. You know, but an artist that your job is to expose and to bring us into a deeper level of knowing that we could not have done otherwise. And in a world that really values staying within the lines or just stay dead, like mm-hmm. watch more Netflix, mm-hmm. numb out, um, worship at the altar of more money or <laughs> success or, or comfort, you know, where you just, you have a lovely life and you don't want anyone to disrupt that. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's, I think the, the, the role of that. And I think how then an artist can understand like why, why are people so um, uncomfortable around me? Uh-huh. and And I think it's because you're exposing something that people deeply long for, but they're also terrified of, because it will cost them something.
0: You made me think the gift of the artist's temperament, the sensitivity that we were talking about earlier really is to be able to give voice to the unspeakable. And as you were saying, to expose things or to bring things out of the darkness into the light. And I think that's one of the gifts that the artist brings uh, to the world. And at the same time, I think it is part of the stewardship like you were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier, because there is such a sensitivity and that sensitivity can lead us one direction or the other, you know. And and so often our our creative sensibilities are hijacked by addictions or destructive behaviors because it is that intense. And so mm-hmm. I love that you just kind of pointed some of that out. It helped me even in my own thinking about it.
1: Yeah, and and I think you know what I'm learning more is that's why I think personal practices mm-hmm. and rituals are so important. We are talking about Heather Stringer, who, um, she's at the handle life and ritual, I think on Instagram and Heather and I do a lot of work together and actually wrote a bit about a a story with her in redeeming heartache, but you know, Heather creates rituals and ways for us to deal with the undealable Mm -hmm. (laughs) with the things that, that bring us fear. And oftentimes we think we have to kind of make it up ourselves but I think there, there are ways to create or find ways to practice, ways that ground us, ways that keep us centered, ways that, that allow us to grieve, allow us to rest, allow us to play and enjoy beauty. And I think that's, you know, even just considering like how, what's your practice of how you wake up in the morning? I've been thinking a lot about this, um, you know, because everything you read says, don't check your phone right away, right? Cuz it mm. that actually increases your cortisol. It 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 tanks you for the rest of the day. It not there's nothing good that comes from it, right? Mm. And my ritual every morning, whether <laughs> I like to admit it or not, is my alarm is on my phone and I pick it up and I look at all the things that I missed overnight and all the emails and that's actually how I wake up is through a, a dose of cortisol and adrenaline and it gets me up and it gets me moving well, that is terrible.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's not good for my soul. It's not good for my body. It's not, it's actually increased productivity. And so I've had to really think about that for myself. Like, okay, so what do I need my morning ritual to look like where I'm actually setting myself up well to be able to take in goodness, to take in beauty, to take in, like, what, what do I actually need to be grieving or thinking about in my own life, not what's borrowed from the rest of the world, like, or hijacked. And, you know, and that's something so simple. But I think for all of us, if we're moving towards restoration and towards practices, where we actually get to um, be proactive in bringing healing and goodness and creativity to the world, those are the little things that we have to take so seriously because they really matter yes and i say that not because i figured it out right like but i have i but i'm thinking about it yes and yes. so <laughs> i think that has to matter right
0: that's a great start right yeah. <laughs> well what would you say not to be overly prescriptive but what would you mm-hmm. say are some healthy practices some restorative practices that we as artists and creatives could consider implementing in our own lives
1: yeah. So I I will speak of this as a, a person who is on the journey with you because I am sure that a lot of your listeners have much better cultivated practices than I do. <laughs> but what what I've started to look at is what am I doing that is bringing me life? And what am I doing that's bringing me stress hormones, stre- you know, cortisol? And, uh, adrenaline worry anxiety like what and and even just looking at my life and saying because you know obviously you can't take all the things that are you know I have two kids I have a six and an eight-year-old like uh, just looking at our calendar is anxiety producing <laughs> I And mean, like right now after this I have like pickup and then two soccer you know practices that are different sides of the city and I'm like I don't even know how to do that I, I want to stick my head in the sand and just pretend and like, and I'm like, well, do we have to do this? Like, is this part of being a good parent? I just don't know. But, you know, that's, so it's like, we can't take away all of those things. Right. But what can I do? And so for me, I, I again, the, the phone. Uh-huh. Um how much every time I get on social like I have to be on social media to a degree because of my job and because of being an author and that's just part of and and there's something that I love about it. I get to connect people and it's fine. I am now um, doing strict protocols around when I get on social media, how long I stay. And also um, being able to understand when I'm scrolling through and when my heart is starting to turn on myself, I'm not doing enough. All these other people have arrived. I haven't done it. I need to create a different strategy. Right. Or guilt, you know, where people are like, well, you know, we, you, can't, you shouldn't be like this or you shouldn't do that. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, my gosh, like I'll go through social media, you know, Frenzies where I'm like, well, I'm clearly a narcissist, and I probably <laughs> need to just retire. And also, I'm, you know, because everyone's like, well, you, you should do this, or this is the critique today. And it's like, uh, Instagram has become the new proverbs; like, it's a mess. Mm. And and so it's like, where where do I need to then um, stop and then go back to my own body? And so I've also started to, um, when I get off so- social media, say even things like, I release all of the stories that I've come in contact with that I don't understand where those people are. And I pray blessing over them and blessing over me. Uh Just that. That's good. Right. And because I'm finding like, I need a way to get out of that space and to close that space off from myself and close my energy off from that space. Mm-hmm. Like when I wake up with my kids, I'm starting to like when I before I get up to pray blessing over their bodies and just to say peace, mm-hmm. peace be among us as we gather our shoes and our things and we try to get out the door on time. Like, yes. Peace, right.
0: <laughs> I could use some of we, that.
1: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Like, you know, and again, it's not to say that that means that's happening. It's just it's like, can we be aware of? Yes. Of where our bodies are being hijacked and, and the autonomy that we actually really do have. Because as soon as that energy gets siphoned off from us, it's really difficult to get it back. Right. And so are you aware, if your call is to create, are you aware of where that creative energy is being siphoned off of you that is actually not for your own good? Wow. And you can you know, manage that through, like it's, it's ridiculous things that we all know, walking. Walking is an incredible thing because it's bilateral movement that connects your left and your right brain. Drinking tea, a ritual of like making tea, especially if it's like loose leaf tea and you have a thing. I always, I have candles at my desk and I light candles before I start to work and I center myself before I get on a screen. Like I blow out the candles at the end of the day to signify like, this is the end of my work and it is, it is what it is. Right, good or bad or not enough, it is done. I love that. Right, and so I think to look at those transition spaces and say, how how can I tend to these these parts of me so that my energy can be placed towards what it's meant for to create beauty and life.
0: Yes, and again,
1: this is all aspirational. So I will get off of this and try to implement like five of those (laughs) over the next year and be fairly unsuccessful.
0: Yes. Kathy, thank you so much for joining me on Makers & Mystics. Tell our listeners where they can connect with you and how to connect with your work. Yeah,
1: so um, right now I work with the Allender Center. And so if you're interested in story work, you can go to theallendercenter.org. And then I also have my own personal work that I do that you can find on Instagram at kathy.lorzell or at my website, kathylorzell.com. And we're doing retreats. Like I said, uh, Heather Stringer and I are starting to do um, different artists sort of retreats all over the country this next year. And um, we have uh, lots of other fun conferences coming up as well that you can join. Or if you want to do story work um, with me, you can go onto my website and work with me directly.
0: Wonderful. And I'll be sure to put links to all of those places in the show notes of this episode. Great. Thank you. Thanks so much for being with us today.
1: You're welcome, It's a pleasure, thank you so much.
0: And thank you so much for listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. If you're not already a subscriber to the podcast, be sure to click the subscribe button today and follow along each week as we discuss what it means to be a creative at the intersections of art, faith, and culture. Patrons of the podcast can enjoy an additional interview segment with Kathy Lorzell on Restoring Shalom. Head over to patreon.com slash makersandmystics and join our creative collective today. Special thanks goes out to Glass C for musical contributions to this episode. We'll see you again next week. And as always, keep creating. The world needs your art.